0: Welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. By any measure, the year 2022 has been transformative. The conflict in Ukraine, global inflation, growing food insecurity, and the West's demand that you are with this or against this dominated our attention. On this edition of Crosstalk, we discuss some of these issues and more. Crosstalking 2022. I'm joined by my guest here in Moscow, Xavier Moreau. He is the founder of the Center of Political Strategic Analysis StratPoll. We also have Maxim Shuchkov. He is the director of the Center for Advanced American Studies at Moscow State Institute of International Relations. And in Budapest, we cross to George Samueli. He is a podcaster at The at the Gaggle, which can be found on YouTube and Locals. All right, gentlemen, talk Rules in Effect. That means you can jump in any time you want, and I always appreciate it. George, let me go to you first in Budapest. I suppose it's kind of an understatement on, on, on my part here, but what was the event, the idea, the person that transformed this year? Because I think all of us would agree, maybe not on what did it the most, but it was a transform, a transformational year. Go ahead, George.
1: Well, it was a, a, a transformational year because um, what happened... Uh, in February, was uh, the end of the post-Cold War era, the end of the era of uh, the unipolar moment um, in which the West got to uh, demand that this is the way the world has to be ordered, and everybody had to uh, jump to it. And uh, Russia shattered that uh, uh, equation. And um, by doing that, and by withstanding um, everything that uh, the west nato the united states threw at it uh, the mother of all sanctions that they uh, boasted the all, all of the weapon systems that uh, they sent into ukraine by doing that uh russia essentially shattered that uh, that moment and uh, and the rest of the world has looked on and i think that it's going to be very very difficult for the west To, uh, recover from that and to some, to restore the, the hegemony that it it had been boasting of since 1989 and Fukuyama's famous The End of History essay.
0: Well, Maxime, basically the same question here. I mean, we um, we had um, George Bush uh, Senior talk about a new world order, um, which has been widely discussed. But I think um, in this year we do have a new world order. It's maybe not very neat and clean and smooth, but something is emerging. And I agree with George. We're leaving something in the past. Maxime, your thoughts?
2: Well, I, as, as uh, the 9-11 atrocities have concluded the era of 1990s uh, and marked perhaps the start of the end uh, of the unipolar world, or the unipolar moment, uh, as they, you know, branded it back in 1990s, I think uh, this year the conflict in Ukraine has marked an ending to the era of 2000s where Russia has sought to find a common denominator in relations with the West, predominantly based on this counterterrorism agenda, which has not been embraced uh, on a number of occasions uh, by uh, Western uh, counterparts. So we're now definitely entering a new era. We don't know what it is, so we perhaps cannot call it in any way, but we can call it by what it is not. It is an end of post post bipolar era, and the reason that there are so many emerging powers in the global south in particular that are now uh, very much, I wouldn't say they're dictating the terms, but their policies uh, matter so much more than they used to matter even 10 years ago, five years ago, tells us that this polycentric world is shaping up objectively.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, Xavier, the the West isn't taking that very easily. Okay, I mean, I think all of us can agree on that. But uh, hegemony, you know, once you have it, you don't like to lose it. Uh, Xavier, you know, for me, the in, in this year, one event it kind of crystallized everything that we've already said here was the destruction of the North Stream uh, uh, pipelines. Okay, and it re- remains a mystery for some people here. But that it, it's a metaphor, and it's uh, and it's very physical. It, it, it's it's material. There was a huge breach that is not going to be healed for a very long time. Xavier.
3: Yes, of course, the 2022, uh, it's uh, it's, uh, the year of the destruction of the European economy, not by Russia, but by uh, Washington. And uh, as you uh, perfectly underline, we observe that uh, London or Washington, uh, it's not so important, uh, can destroy uh, uh, pipelines. Uh, with, um, a, be- a very uh, fundamental, uh, uh, energetical infrastructure in, for the continental Europe. And, uh, neither, uh, Berlin nor Paris dare to, uh, even just saying it's not Russia. It, 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 it should not be, uh, ready, I think, but they, they didn't dare say anything on, uh, who is guilty. So in my opinion, the most important fact is the complete destruction of the, of the, sorry. It's the complete destruction of the of the European economy by Washington and uh, neither again Berlin nor Paris did say something.
0: Well, it's very interesting you mentioned that, George. I mean, you know, we I think that, you know, one thing that marks the, the year that's ending is this this amazing propaganda progr- uh, program of, of not allowing any kind of dissent on the Ukraine narrative. It's really extraordinary. A lot of people have been denied platforms. Uh, RT that you're on right now has been attacked. Um, but it what has really happened is that We keep hearing about unity, unity, unity. Zelensky goes to Washington, unity. But, you know, Xavier is absolutely right. You know, Paris uh, and and Berlin will never say anything now uh, against American hegemony. They'll just have to suck it up. George. Yes,
1: that's exactly right. And um, the arrogance that uh, the United States uh, displays towards its close allies is quite extraordinary. Um, Xavier mentions about the uh, the Nord Stream uh, pipelines. They they know perfectly well who did it, and we know it because of the silence. If there was <laughs> any the slightest evidence that Russia was behind it. Then you know we wouldn't have heard the end of it. I mean, we, it would be just constant barking from uh, from everyone in uh, Europe. Instead, there is silence. They know perfectly well who's behind it, and they're keeping uh, quiet about it. Then we have the uh, b- the business of uh, the uh, European dependence on liquefied natural gas from the United States. So Macron comes along and says, "Uh, we are paying four times as much for uh, liquefied natural gas as the Americans. And how does the Biden administration react? And they'll say, yeah, okay, that's what you're doing. But what about your inflation reduction act? You know, you're uh, uh, prioritizing American industry to European industry. And So the the, um, Americans respond. The Americans do not care. They do not care. The whole policy in Ukraine has been driven by the United States. You know, all the way back to 2008 when uh, the Bush administration insisted on uh, making that promise to Ukraine about eventual uh, NATO membership. The Europeans have had no say in this and they have had to bear the costs. And, uh, you know, as, as we head into the new year, We know that anything that the Europeans want, you know, if they want some sort of a settlement uh, in Ukraine, they don't have the means at all of uh, insisting on it. And The the Americans will squelch any agreement that they're not happy with. It will be decided on America's terms, or at least that's how Washington sees it. We don't care at all what Paris and Berlin has to say.
0: You know, Maxime, this year also marks, at least in my opinion, being a historian of Russian history, is that this breach that we have within the European landmass is that Russia, after 300 years, is basically, at least for the time being, to turn its back on Europe, and that that is world historic, Maxime.
2: That is true. Uh, however, I think uh, you know, and we're already hearing these uh, you know noises. That Russia shouldn't be doing this in different organizations, you know. That you know, Russia just has to leave Ukraine, and that things will be back on track. Uh, I think those who are advocating this stance do not really realize the full scope of the kind of the mental shift that has happened over the past few months in the Russian uh, society. Perhaps even more than the Russian elites, but the Russian elites are shifting as well, perhaps at just a a slower pace. And and these, uh, you know, the strive to build links with the rest uh, of the world, with the the Middle Eastern countries, with the Asian countries is so big. And and that is actually, you know, has happened in in the past Russian history that the major shifts had to happen because of some crisis. You know, it it usually Russia is slow to react to changes until you know there is some crisis situation where it just has to do so. Such was the case during the World War II, where most of the industries that carried the Soviet Union' success were built during the uh, during the uh, most hardest and, and the toughest years of the war. Such is the case right now. And the problem is if you know things are saddled uh, over some time. It, it will be hard to, you know, return all the things that are being lost now. That That is the case for the companies that prefer to leave Russia. That is the case for the industries that ha- now are undergoing severe changes and dramatic changes. Uh, and I think eventually it will be a harder loss. And one of the programs, uh, Peter, you mentioned that, you know, the calculus is right now for the Europeans to get through this winter – But the long-term challenges, you know, getting through the other three to five uh, winters. And this is the new norm. This is a new reality, and uh, everyone will have to adapt.
0: Yeah, well, Xavier, before we go to the break here, I mean, you know, there's always been this question, you know, does Russia need Europe more than Europe needs Russia? Well, I think the question is being answered. I mean, Russia is the most sanctioned country in the world. Life is fine, okay? Everybody's getting, getting through it, okay? Sure, there's some annoyances. But I can't, I don't think the Europeans can say the same thing as the average Russian. Xavier, before we go to the break, go ahead.
3: Yes, of course, the, the Europe completely underestimated the ways of the Russian economy in the European economy because they were considering that uh, okay, it's only three percent on the world uh, the world market, but it's uh, maybe it's globally three percent, but it's very important for uh, for fertilizer, it's very important for energy, it's very important for uh, nuclear energy. They uh, have uh, underestimated uh, this as well, and actually, the West globally. Completely underestimated the weight of the Russian economy, the power of his army, the determination not only of Vladimir Putin but of the Russian, of the Russian population. And um, just would like to to underline that one year ago exactly, Vladimir Putin uh, tried to give one last chance to uh, enforce Ex- the. Xavier, min- Xavier, Xavier,
0: hold that thought. We're going to go to a hard break, and after that hard break, we'll continue our discussion on the year that's about to pass. Stay with RT. Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter Lavelle. To Remind you, we're discussing 2022. Okay, let's go back to Xavier here in Moscow. We we ran into a hard break, and you didn't get to finish your point. So please do now. Go ahead.
3: Thank you, Peter. Yet I, do, I do, just would like to um, to underline that, and in my opinion, it would it will remain uh, in history that. One year ago, exactly one year ago, Vladimir Putin tried to give a last chance to uh, France, to uh, Germany, and even to NATO to implement the Minsk Agreement, which should have been implemented and forced uh, on December 2015. So we saw how long Vladimir Putin waits till uh, started this uh, special operation. So actually, and paradoxically, what we observe is that Putin gave a last chance to NATO and unfortunately we saw and know we exactly know that uh, the Minsk agreement were never signed to be implemented as exactly said not only uh, Mr Poroshenko but uh, um, uh, Angela Merkel and I'm sure that it's the same for for Paris that all these agreements were done to uh, to um, not to be implemented and that Give now a very important question. Exactly what said um, um, Dmitry Medvedev uh, two days ago that there is nobody um, which with which we can sign okay. and about what we are going to sign. So the problem in 2023 it's. What can, what kind of agreement can be reached?
0: Well, if you know, there is nobody
3: it, uh, we can trust. Yeah, it, point. It,
0: it, that is the point here, George. You know, agreement incapable. That's, I think that is a brilliant Russian word, and it's actually getting greater currency, okay? I came across it maybe like two years ago. But, George, you know, I kind of, a, an extension of what Xavier was saying. You know, when I look at the, the propaganda coverage of this conflict, Mr. Zelensky, who goes to Washington and all this, but, George, Russia's security demands have not changed. And this is something that, you know, re, uh, responsible statecraft and all these people, they, they they don't want to recognize us. They're in their own bubble here. And I want to address the same question to Maxime here. But, you know, we're ending the year basically in the same place, OK? If you're not going to listen to our demands, why should we listen to yours, George?
1: Yes, uh, <clears throat> that's exactly right, because... The security demands, they go all the way back to the 1990s, to the, to the days when uh, the West's favorite boy, Boris Yeltsin, was in power in Moscow, and they continued to raise the issue of NATO expansion. And they, they complained, and they complained, and they complained, and the West ignored their complaints. Because, and why did they ignore their complaints? Because there was nothing Russia could do about it. And so I said, well, Russia can't do anything. The Russia, you know, well, they may complain about well, the Baltic states are being incorporated into NATO. So what are you going to do about it? Well, of course, Russia couldn't do anything about it. <clears throat> and so finally, when the Ukraine issue came up, the West response was exactly the same. What are you going to do about it? And uh, and then obviously Russia gave the answer. But this is really where it comes to. You see, the the West is only prepared to talk to Russia about the issues that interests the United States. The United States is interested in the issue of strategic nuclear weapons, because there Russia has uh, built up an edge, uh, and the United States is anxious to uh, overcome that edge. So it's willing to talk to Russia about that. But when it comes to uh, NATO, the expansion of NATO, and surrounding Russia by a literal of uh, NATO states— The United States isn't willing to talk about that because, hey, hey, we've got the advantage here. There's nothing Russia can do about it short of going to war, so we're not going to talk about it. Now, course on uh, in February the 24th, Russia said, "Well, we are going to do something about it," and uh, and so then Russia changed the equation. But as uh, Xavier said, that there, there were plenty of opportunities. I mean, all the way through to February, to uh, right all the way to the days up to February the 24th, when Chancellor Scholz and President Macron made their visits to Moscow. And, you know, even at that moment, there could have been something done to, uh, to stop this. But they didn't do it. Instead, they just spouted their usual cliches, the same cliches they've been spouting for decades.
0: Well, Maxime, what, what happened to the concept of indivisibility of security? Because that was the mantra of the Helsinki process, okay? And um, I, I, I seem to remember that this term came into circulation like in December and January, people learning about it again. But that is the reality, and, and the West has forgotten about that, and that's why we found ourselves in the position where we are now, because... The Euro- European security architecture was not, was designed uh, without Russia and against Russia. And on, on February 24th, they said no more. It's no longer the case. Go ahead, Maxine.
2: Look, we're in a state of a kind of what I would call a prolonged gro- groundhog day, because the same things that are being discussed now uh, have been debated uh, back in the mid-2000s. When Vladimir Putin first delivered his Munich speech, which triggered many policymakers in the West. But the point of that speech was that the you can't just promote you know the color revolutions at the time in Ukraine and Georgia, and your vision of a unipolar world without You know, facing the consequences uh, that are there, the security consequences in particular. That address wasn't taken seriously, uh, or it was taken but interpreted in its own way. And what followed was the war in in Georgia a a year after. Another, uh, you know, kind of address appeal to the West uh, happened when Putin spoke in the UN General Assembly in in, uh, September 2015, offering the West a counterterrorism partnership in the wake of the, uh, you know, crisis situation unraveling in Syria. That, too, wasn't really embraced, and that led to the uh, Russian uh, operation and Russian military campaign in Syria. Uh, And we're then in the situation of November last year, as my colleagues already discussed, where, you know, a very serious issue was raised and put on the table for the discussion and was pretty much was waved off uh, in, in what we uh, see today is the product of, of that dipl- diplomatic negligence. Uh, that That, le- leads that to is
0: dis- such a diplomatic negligence. Perfect. Write that down on a post it and put it in your wallet because that's exactly what we've experienced here. Xavier, another really big trend of this year is the global south or the global majority, as I like to call it, they stood up and they said no, okay? No to, to, to sanctions, no, and they're fleeing the dollar. I mean, the, we finally see this huge paradigm shift that so many have talked about over the decades, but now it's actually happening. The global south is going its own way, and it's going to decide on its own partners. Oh, and by the way, Xavier, they
3: don't like so-called Western values. Go ahead, Xavier. Exactly. Exactly. If you observe in Africa, uh, things are, have changed because and they look at uh, in the in the Russian direction to find an alternative because they are afraid by the these uh, LGBT values who, which are promoted by by the West. And I would like to add that actually the West is isolated because not only China, not only India decided to prioritize the uh, national interest, but such a long uh, term um, uh, friend uh, like Saudi Arabia. Decided uh, to n- not officially to support Russia, but for instance to t- to take a decision about uh, decreasing the oil production with Russia, which is uh, completely uh, destroyed all the uh, anti-Russian uh, uh, economical uh, sanctions. So uh, we are in a, um, in a new world, and uh, actually the West has underestimated the weight of the new economics. Because for Russia it was quite easy to find alternative market, not only for uh, for oil and gas, but for uh, for fertilizers, for uh, anything uh, Russia can sell. So um, again, the, the West has completely underestimated and Russia and the the determination of the other countries who are tired of following the order of the global uh, global West.
0: You know, George, Xavier said something that's really important here in, in, in having an alternative to the West. And again, there's a huge literature on this as we're not inventing it on this program here. But it's actually, you know, it, it's taking on flesh now. It's actually becoming real because not only do they reject these values, they're not af- as, af- as afraid. They're still a little bit, but not as afraid of the West as they've been in the past. George.
1: Yes. um, I mean, in some ways, we're going back to the model of the Cold War in which uh, the Soviet Union uh, was the leader of the global resistance to Western hegemony. But back then, the Soviet Union just simply wasn't economically powerful enough to challenge the the hegemony of uh, the United States, at least in economic terms. They could militarily. Um, but so now, you know, the the the, uh, the rest of the world, which basically during that unipolar moment just had, had to do as they're told, now you know they have a leader, a leader of the resistance, and I think that's. Uh, Russia's role in the world, and that's why Russia, though economically, obviously, it's not as strong as China, but that's why Russia is in the crosshairs as far as the West is concerned, because, you know, the West sees Russia as the leader of the global resistance. And that uh, just, in, it infuriates, uh, you know, the United States, United Kingdom, that, you know, much of the rest of the world just says, look, we don't care about, you know, your agenda. And, uh, you know, you know, Russia actually speaks for us, speaks for our, uh, interests, speaks for our values. And this is something that the West is determined to stop. And I think, you know, but, you know, the, the, the whole NATO encirclement of Russia is really all about that, you know, how to knock Russia out from, uh, you know, from its global leadership position.
0: You know, Maxine, one of the interesting things, again, the Western media will, you know, Russia's isolated and all that. But, I mean, if you go outside of the Western media bubble, the world is watching Russia take on the entirety of the West, and it's still standing and actually is uh, has great prospects. It's really a world historic moment here. We have about 45 seconds. Go ahead, Maxine.
2: Well, absolutely. And I think the problem with that uh, consideration is not just that they, uh, self-illusion. It's, uh, that the West, by thinking that this is the case, presses so hard and, and, you know, shrinks the space for neutrality for the rest of the world. Now that we're seeing another trend where countries are moving from non-alignment to multi-alignment, uh, for the better, for the worse, uh, but eventually they're trying to diversify their geopolitical, economic and other stakes. With different actors, Russia in particular, and that is also tells us that this kind of unipolar world uh, with the dictatorship of the West and the political institutions is, is shrinking, but it's going to take time.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, the West always talks about diversity, but they don't like diversity of ideas uh, around the world. That's really quite amazing here. Everything is inverted here. Twenty twenty two is going to be a year remembered long into the future and by future historians. And I think we just wrote the first page. That's all the time we have. I want to thank my guests here in Moscow and in Budapest. And thanks to our viewers for watching us here at RT. See you next time. And remember, Crosstalk rules.